Hopefully some of you are bringing your Bibles so that you'll get familiarized with it. Uh, why am I? Okay, that's fine. I'll let you guys deal with that. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked. He asked Peter, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the, the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples to the disciples, and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. You are mighty, you are merciful, you are gracious, you are sovereign, you are all-knowing. And you are loving. You are good and kind. And we thank you for everything that you have given to us today and this past week. We thank you for the songs that prepared our hearts to meet you tonight. We ask now, Lord God, that you open our minds to your message. Give us wisdom, Father God. Give us humility as you speak to us with the message that you have for us through me. Anoint me and bless me. Guide us, Father God. Guide us with your Holy Spirit. And teach us, Father. May we be willing, Lord God, to accept whatever it is that you have for us tonight. Forgive us, Lord, for all of our sins. Let nothing, Lord God, about us and anything that will happen tonight distract us or hinder us from listening to you and hearing your message for us. All these things we ask in your sweet and mighty name, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. 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 All right. Um, I entitled our message tonight, My Way or the Highway. As we continue our series uh, with the series Road to the Cross, the events leading prior to uh, Jesus going to the cross and prior to Resurrection Sunday, of course, we're trying to unpack them or review them for most of us, for most of you who are Bible buffs, you know, but this is what we're trying to do. Uh, my way or the highway is, is basically saying somebody giving the threat that if you don't do it my way, I'm leaving. Amen. Right, yeah, that's, that's what it is, right? That's what they say. Hopefully, this is not said in your marriage, but these are, this is basically a threat, right? You do it my way, or I'm leaving, or you're leaving. Um, so we're going to unpack what we read in Matthew 26 about the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, and there, I have, I think, I believe I have two points, three points tonight. So here's the first point, fellowship. If you see here in this verse, as Jesus knew, this is after the Lord's Supper. We tackled the Lord's Supper last week. 
for those of you who are with us or are following us. Um, now, Jesus knew from the Lord's Supper, he was telling him, I'm going to be delivered, right? I'm going to be betrayed. And then he calls three d- disciples with him. Now, that's quite interesting to me, that on the day that Jesus is in, you know, he's in anguish, right? He chooses three disciples to be with him, right? Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting about our Jesus? Uh, he calls us to be with him. He called his disciples. The disciples are a representation of us, right? But during this time when he was walking before the cross, he called them to be with him, just to accompany him. You know, that's, 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 that's you, it's human nature to, be, to want to be with someone in your t- great time of need. Amen? Amen? I think even in times of, of fun, I don't think eating, I think eating a good meal alone isn't as fun as eating it with many people, correct? Unless the other person that you invited ate everything, then you're kind of like, okay, I won't invite you again. But it's good to have a great meal or a great time with other folks, correct? When we're having fun. But it's even better that when we're hurting, there's someone or some people that we can count on to just be there with us. Doesn't that remind you when Job was going through what he went through and then three of his friends showed up, right? And in their, in, in their disbelief on what Job was going through, they were just in silence. But then when they started talking, Job told them, man, you know, you guys were, your silence was a better counsel to me than you guys opening your mouth. But here we see our Lord Jesus asking for friends, coming for, asking for fellowship, as he goes, because we've seen many accounts of Jesus going alone, right? Going away from the crowd, going away from the disciples to pray. But he never invited anybody to be with him. He always wanted that time alone with his father. But this time around, he asked for some, three people to go with him. And I believe that there's, this is an example for us, for fellowship. Us Christians, we need fellowship of other believers, There is no believer that is designed to be the lone ranger, right? Because even lone ranger had tonto, (laughs) for the the old people that knows the show, right? Right? Even he had tonto. But us Christians, we think we can do it on our own. But our Lord asked for people, his three close friends, to, to be with him. Now, the question is, the application here is, how available are you for fellowship? How available are you for fellowship? Now, I'm, I know there is a need for us to fellowship with others, but how available are you for fellowship with other believers? We are, for those of you who are members of this church, we are a part of this body. We are all called to fellowship along with each other, to go through our journey, your journey, my journey, but at the same time, there's really the relationship between us has to work both ways. Do you agree? I have to be willing and you have to be willing in order for us to have a relationship. We just can't be married on paper. Correct? Those are fixed marriages. <laughs> I'm pretty sure some of you, my fellow Filipinos, are aware of that. Fixed marriages are people that said, oh, yeah, we'll get married so you can have papers. You pay me X amount of dollars. We'll pretend you live in this house and on paper we're married, but really, technically, we're not. I don't even like you. I don't even know how you look like. But some of us, we act that way. 
we act that Christian, Christian church is like your previous church, your previous faith. You know what that was? That's religion. When, we were, when I was a Catholic, I would go to a church, and I would not know anybody in that church except my friends who go to the same church. But I would not know anyone in that church, no personal connection whatsoever. Because I just needed to go to church, I need to confess my sins, I need to make sure I'm good with the Lord, just, just in case I go die when I leave the building. I'm hoping I make it to purgatory at least, purgatory. But see, Christian fellowship, real fellowship, is, is being there for each other. But there is willingness for on both parties. When I say, please pray for me, I'm really counting that you're praying for me. And, I, and I'm pretty sure that's what you are expecting from me as well. But we can, only, we can only be guaranteed of that if we have that fellowship. That I know Joe will be there. I know, I know John will be there. I know Robert will be there. Right? Jesus knew that these, I don't know what the reason was, but there's three here, but there's one common character that Jesus always picks, right? Peter. And then Peter was the guy that was coded there again. Why are you still sleeping? Are you sleeping again, Peter? There is that close relationship between Jesus and Peter. Now, us, we're, since we're the representation of Peter, how many times when Jesus have asked for your fellowship and you have turned him down? And then you're going to ask me, oh, Pastor Joe, when did that ever happen? Uh, Sundays. Sundays. Your Sunday. Your Sunday is when Jesus says, come with me. You say, I'm good, praise me. You say, thank you, Lord, come, see me. See me with your other brothers and sisters. Come, fellowship with them and celebrate me. Tell them what I've done for you. And vice versa. If that's the kind of church you belong to, isn't, that, isn't God always glorified and magnified? You're saying what he has done to you, and I'm saying what he has done for me. And somebody who's down is hearing that, and they're saying, oh my gosh, if God can do that for you, can he do that for me too? And obviously we're going to say, yes, he can do that for you too. That's why there's a great need. And that's why there's a great need for, to belong to a body and a designated time to come. Because if we say, all right, we all belong to FICF, we're all going to worship God on Sunday, but come when you want to. That's so unorganized, and that's going to be hit and miss. There's going to be six of us at three, 9 o'clock in the morning, because some of us are early. And some of us will come here at, at 7 o'clock, and the singers are not here, or the pastor's not here. That's why there's, there's a designated time, correct? <laughs> that's a trap, right? That's why nobody said, mm-hmm. No, but there's, we see that there's that fellowship. And then look at Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12. Is that what I have? I have Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12 here when it reads, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he fails, when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. That's Ecclesiastes 4, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12. And then in John 17, 21 to 23, that they may all be one just as you, 
Father are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, and they have become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. And then last one is Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. In all three verses that I cited, there is obviously a great need for fellowship. Now, Christianity is a relationship with Jesus. Christianity is not a religion. A religion imposes things upon us to do. A, a relationship is an expected return, right? I take care of you, you take care of me. I love you, and in return, you love me. That's what we have with the Lord. He loves us, and because of that love, we love Him in return. But then we've said time and time again that love is an action word. Love is an action word. So it's just, it's more than words. It should be just more than lip service. Our love for God must be shown in our lives. And one great way for us to recognize that is our Sunday worship. Amen? Now I know COVID came, right? And now it's gone because it's now World War III that we're worried about. So now they say you might as well go to church now, <laughs> right? And COVID came and my, my clothes start getting tighter and it's not getting any better. But the whole point is this. We need each other. Jesus, our God, asked for three people to go with him. Knowing what was going to come, knowing that the inevitable was about to come his way, he asked for three close friends to be with him. And in John 17, God, Jesus' prayer was prayer for the church and the fellowship. And in Hebrews is a reminder that we are not to give this up. No matter what the world tells us that this is not important. No matter what the governor tells us that this is not important right now, that this is dangerous. Our God is our authority. Amen? Amen. The ultimate authority for a Christian is God and God alone. And it's written down in the scriptures. So the authority for us is written down in the scriptures. Amen? And that authority that's written in the scripture, the authority for us believers is the local church. That, that's, that's, this is what we need. We need each other. Amen? Second point, prayer. Now, Jesus is a great, great example of the great need for prayer. Amen? Amen. Yes, I'm going to be brief on this one because um, we always discuss prayer. We always discuss the importance of prayer. And that we as a church, we have a Wednesday prayer service. Meaning we really value and see the great need of it. Amen. Amen. It's been said that if Sunday if the church is full on Sunday, the preacher is popular. But if the church is filled on Wednesdays or prayer meetings, it means God is po popular. 
Now, is God popular in your life? Is, is, do you really believe that prayer works? Five. Yeah, praise God. It works because God is real. Amen? Prayer works because God hears our needs. Prayer works because He has the power to respond to any and all of our needs. Amen? Amen. Now the question is, do we only pray when we need something from Him? Sadly, some of us, we only pray when we need something from Him. Sadly, we only come to Jesus. I'm saying sadly, but that is the right thing to do, okay? That is the right thing to do. If you're not going to go, go running to God in a time of need, then, then there's going to be more trouble coming your way. But I'm saying sadly because that's just a one-way relationship. And e even in our human relationships, if our friends will only call us when, when they need something, we will be irritated and we'll probably not be friends with them anymore. Correct? If we belong to a marriage that is like that, that our, 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 our spouse is only sweet to us when they need something <laughs> be careful then it's not a good relationship it's not a good marriage correct it's not a good friendship it's not a relationship that we want to belong to especially if we're in the receiving end of that oh he's only nice because he needs something now, if our Lord Jesus sees the great importance of prayer in His life, us believers, will, it will pay for us to follow His example. Amen? He prays, prayed all the time, and up to now, He is praying for us. Now, believer, don't just pray for the young people here. Don't just pray in your math test. For the married people here, don't just pray because your marriage is in trouble. Or for the single people here, don't just pray because you're looking for that special someone. Pray to God because you want to spend time with Him. Amen? Don't wait until, don't wait to develop your prayer life until the trouble, if you're deep in trouble. Don't wait for that. Because God wants us. He's a jealous God. Amen? Do you believe that? That God is jealous? Yes. What does that mean? He will take anything away from us, anything that stands to be an idol. God will remove that because of His holy jealousy. Now, it might, it might take time. It might take time for you. He might let you enjoy it for a little bit. But then the time He takes it, it will hurt. And you will exactly know what happened. We will exactly know the message of God there. Because you did not value him. You valued that person or that, that accolade at your work, that achievement in your school. You made that more important than him. And he will make it known. He will make it known. So, again, prayer is important in any Christian life. Prayer is important. Amen? Amen. And we saw here. Now, now we're going to get to... Uh, the sorrow of the cup. Can we please go to the sorrow of the cup? Um, third, the sorrow of the cup. In these verses, in verse 36 to 38, let me just read it. Then Jesus went to his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee 
And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This is what we're going to park tonight. This is where the meat of our message is. Because we see here, Jesus knew he was going to go pray and meet his father. But on his way there, he gets hit with sorrow and agony. In the, verse, in, in the account of Luke, it, he used the word agony. Sorrow is synonymous to agony. So what happened there? And we know that Jesus does not exaggerate, correct? Yeah, some of us, we know. We know God doesn't exaggerate. But us, we, we make expressions. We say these lines. Oh man, I'm dying here. Or we'll, or we'll text somebody, you're killing me. Right? There's all, all exaggerations on our part. But here, Jesus says... I am overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Now, what was, what was that that's pointing, bringing Jesus to the point of death? Now, is it, is it the cross, the crucifixion? Is it the physical death that he was going to go through? I mean, because he's been, he's been talking about him dying, right? He's been telling them, I'm going to go die. I'm going to be captured. They're going to they're get me. I'm going to be dead for three days. So is it really what he was, was he really concerned about the, his death? He wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't sorrowful because of the death that he was going to go through. Because if you see there, the imagination there, the picture there is they were walking in the garden. As they were walking there, something happened within Jesus. His soul was troubled to the point of death. Why? Because if we see here in Mark 15, 34, we see the cry, remember? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me. That's in Mark 15, 34. Because the sorrow that Jesus was feeling and the sorrow and the cup that Jesus was asking for to be taken away was the fact that he was going to lose fellowship with his God the Father. That was the one that was hurting Jesus too much to the point of death. Now, Christians... If you don't know that, I'm going to try, I'm going to try, I'm going to try, because I don't know if there's any certain human relationships that we have that can really bring us to that, to that point of sorrow. Because he, Jesus, was so in tune with his Father. He was always connected with his Father. Now to, to just imagine, all of a sudden, somebody that you're really close with, somebody that you really love, that you're always in contact with, all of a sudden it's going to be, you're going to lose them. Right? It's being taken away from you. The means, even that connection, that emotional connection, is being taken away from you. And it's troubling Jesus. So if you have that kind of relationship with a person, that's not even close to this. Because this is deep anguish. To the point that Jesus, again, in the account of Luke, there was, he was sweating blood. Right? Now, it's not, it doesn't often happen, but it's not impossible. Right? It's scientifically proven that in the great amount of agony, somebody can sweat blood because of the pressure, because of the intense stress. I don't know. I don't know if you have that kind of marriage where you sweat blood. <laughs> if you don't, then your marriage is still good. I don't know if you have that kind of child or parent that makes you sweat blood. If you don't, then your, your parents, your children are still good. You have a good chance of making it work. 
But Jesus, during his time, this is the one that was troubling him. Losing fellowship with his father. Some of us, we even have a hard time. We drag ourselves to church. One, obvious one. Number two, we drag ourselves to pray. When things are good, it's hard for us to pray. It really is. It truly is. Because times are good, right? We put God on the back burner. It, it's so hard for us to read the Bible. It's so hard for us to read the Bible. We, we would like certain quotes on Facebook that's so spiritual. That's easier. Like, share. Boom, I did my part. Praise God. Love you, Jesus. Now, that's good and all. That's good and all. But that's, that should, you should go past that. That's surface. That's not... That's, I, I want to say this. I'm going to say this. I'm going to get in trouble. But it, it, that's, not, that's not enough. Because, well, because what's enough? What's God looking for? God's looking for us. Like our ultimate, dear, intimate time with Him. Now, is a dear time, is it intimate with God if you spend three minutes of prayer with Him per day? And then you rush through your Bible. You rush through it because you need to go to work. You rush through it because you need to go to sleep. You rush through it because you need to go to your third job, your fourth job, your fifth job. Right? I mean, is, is, that, is that how you glorify Him? Is that, do, can we really say, God knows I love Him? But that kind of lifestyle. Because look, look, look at the pain in Jesus here. So this was in the cross already. He was already in the cross here in, in Mark 15. But we're studying in the garden. Well, he was in the garden. It started. It already started when he said, my soul is troubled to the point of death. It already started there. So imagine what, Je what Jesus was going through. Imagine the news, the news from your doctor saying, you have cancer. And you have Three days to live. Imagine how you're going to take that news. Or the, the worst news, right? When, when, if Bong is your doctor, right? If you go to Bong and Bong says, I have bad news and I have worse news. And you go, how can there be a worse news than your bad news? And he goes, what do you want first? The bad news. Bad news is that you have, you're, you're going to die uh, you only have five days to live. You have cancer. What? And what's the worst news? I forgot to tell you that three days ago. <laughs> so, right? So you're just, you're just like, okay. Imagine how you go through that. There's just a big disconnect now. But here, this is, this is, this is Jesus going through this. And then look at 2 Corinthians. Do we have it? 2 Corinthians 5, 21, when it, Paul wrote here, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It was the clear vision that Jesus had that he was going to be taking it upon himself, all of the world's sins. And to pay for that price meant that he, Jesus, will be alienated from God the Father, which is what made him troubled. 
Because God cannot be associated with sin. Now, it's not because Jesus sinned, but He had to become sin for us. What did Jesus say the, greatest, the two greatest commandments were? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Correct? And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor, neighbor as you love yourself. Do you know that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus practiced that? In his prayer when he said, Lord, if there's any way for this cup to be taken away from me, but if not my will, let your will be done. What does that mean? He said, Lord, here's my request. The cup that Jesus was fearing, like, don't alienate yourself from me. Don't take your, your fellowship away from me. Because of his love for God, right? For his love for his Father. But then he said, but yet not my will, Lord. Let your will be done. Again, he's loving his Father. But him obeying, he's loving his neighbors. That's his love for us. That's his love for his neighbors. For him to go through the cross and the alienation from his Father was for his neighbors that could not keep, keep awake. The same people that kept sleeping. Not you. <laughs> but those people in the garden, right? Why? I mean, imagine, imagine, if, imagine the irritation. Imagine the irritation if it were us. Lord, really? You want me to die for these people? They can't even stay awake for me. I'm really going to give my life for these people that will never repay me the way that they should be repaying me. But see, because of his love for his father, he obeyed. Because of his love for us, he obeyed. See, I hope as we go through these verses, as we go through this, uh, this message, I hope that God's love for you becomes real. It makes it... The, the messages tonight and the past few weeks and the coming weeks, it will just remind you how real it was and what it cost him. Because the cup, of the, the cup that Jesus was talking about is the wrath of, of, of God. Now, some people have said that they don't believe in the, ra the, uh, uh, um, uh, ra the wrath of God. They only believe in a loving God. They don't believe in the just God. But see, there's no way that you can appreciate God's love if you don't know His wrath. Because what's the point of Jesus dying on the cross if, if we're all going to be saved anyway if He didn't have to do it? What was the point of, of Him being alienated from His Father if there's any other way that we can save ourselves from our sins? There was no other way. And again, his only motivation was because of his love for us. This is how it will all be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. An illustration of hell. At the end of the day, at the end of everybody's life, God will respect your decision if you have not surrendered to Him as your Lord. If you wanted to live your life according to your ways, God, at the end of your life, will respect that and you will be forever separated from Him. That's the wrath of God. That's the cup. Jesus went through that. That's what Jesus was saying. Don't take yourself away from me because for Jesus, that's hell. And for us, that's hell. 
The separation of God the Father from us is hell. God will respect your decision at the end of the day. And But as long as you are living, I hope that you're seeing that Jesus constantly is saying, I have paid for all of your sins. All your sins are paid for because I went through it. I surrendered to the Father for your sins. Did you also know that it's only Jesus who obeyed that had to be killed after his obedience? Everything in the Bible, you obey me, you will have life. Right? Your obedience, you will have life. Only Jesus, he went through it. If you obey me, you will die. In your death, you will be separated from me. In your obedience, that's what's going to happen to you. See, only Jesus went through that. Because for us, if we obey God, we will live. Right? It's blessings for us. But only through Jesus. Only Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, that's what he was going through. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, My father, if this is possible, take this cup away from me. And then look at verse 40. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. And couldn't you meet? One hour. Jesus praying for one hour. How many of us pray for an hour? <laughs> As we all agree, Jesus was both God in the flesh and a man at the same time. The two natures were not just mixed together to make a separate whole like what would happen when you bo- we, we put cranberries and an apple together and we will have uh, grand apple. <laughs> when we study all the relevant passages in the Bible on the union of God and the man in Jesus Christ, we conclude that Jesus Christ must be 100% man and 100% God. Now, that will never make sense in our natural mind. But the truth is clearly revealed in the scriptures. When we see Jesus having a conflict of will with the Father, it is hard to sort out, sort it all out for answers for us. The best way we can do is to say that in some way, the, the holy humanness of Jesus was repulsed by the vision of Him becoming sin. That He truly preferred not to go through that to the cross. But look at the substance of His prayer. When He said He prayed that if it is possible, let the hour pass Him. That's only a portion of time. Jesus knew that for a portion of time, he will become sin and he will lose fellowship with his father. So he was praying like, let that hour just not happen. If there is any other way. Now, when, remember when the, the, somebody asked Jesus about if they can sit right next to him, to his right. And he said, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And they said, we can. That's in uh, Matthew 20, 20, 20, 22 to 33. Now, the cup in the Old Testament and in the older times, olden times, meant it's an ordeal or a punishment, right? So that's, that's the cup. I hope I, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the value in knowing it, the distinction of it, so hopefully you would also appreciate it. But... Jesus, when he prayed and he ended his prayer, he didn't say my way or the highway. He said, yet not what I will, but what you will. This is why we're going to have will gapus to close us in prayer tonight. <laughs> he chose the high purpose of God rather than abandoning it 
from the abandoning God's will in regards to his human fears. Jesus seek the good and the deliverance of the whole human race. Despite of his, the pain that's behind it, he was in agony of just the knowledge that he was going to lose fellowship with his father. Because from the very beginning, when we saw the first account of Jesus, when he was lost in the temple, remember? When he was young and the parents came back and they saw Jesus in the temple, what did Jesus say to his step-parents? I must be about my father's will. I must be about my father's will. Um, and then there's Psalm 40, verse 8. It reads here, I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. In Psalm 143.10, it reads, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. And then in Matthew 6.9-10, This then is how you should pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Now, even as Christians, even as well-intending Christians, we still struggle. Right? We still struggle with our carnal desires versus God's desires for our lives. That's why Jesus was so gracious to his, to his uh, apostles or disciples when he said, Pray lest you fall, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, Jesus was so gracious to them, and they are representations of us. Amen? Amen. A few more minutes. It's a few more minutes. If God is gracious to us, despite our failures, left and right, time and time again, minute after minute, how come we're not gracious to each other? How come we're so critical of each other? I find it very sad when I hear a Christian more critical of another Christian and so gracious of an unbeliever. And then the, 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 the defining line is this. Well, because they don't know any better and he, did, he does. That's true. That might be true. There might be a very good argument there because we have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. We have the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So there should be a real careful examination of a certain situation that an unbeliever could have easily screwed up, that a Christian should have been mindful of. But the end of the day is this. If God has forgiven us and continues to forgive us, we should also be forgiving and gracious and not be frustrated. Now, frustration, we feel it. Amen? But we have to choose it. In our anger, do not sin. But at the same time, again, another reminder for prayer. If us Christians, if we really want to be in, connected with the will of the Lord, we need to be in prayer. You see, Jesus, the model prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he gives his request, but he was completely surrendered to the will of the Father. Amen? He kept going back to it, same request, for a long time. But again, he always ends his prayer by saying, Yet not what I will, but your will be done. So do you want to do God's will in your life? Yes, you do. But how do you find out what His will is for your life? Many ways, right? Number one is in prayer. You ask God 
to show you what his will is for you. And then you read your Bible. Correct? And then you look into your circumstances. But that's dangerous because if your heart wasn't changed in your prayer, then you will look at every circumstance that's favoring what you want to do. If your prayer is, Lord, help me marry him. And then he smiled at you at church. You're like, ha, that's a a sign. God confirmed it. He will leave leave his wife for me. (laughs) No, right? We know automatically that's wrong, right? So when we pray, we say, Lord, remove anything that I want to do in my life. Remove this one particular thing that I'm biased with. Remove it, Lord God, in order for me to know what your will is for me. Right? We need to be honest and say, Lord, take it away. Because that's the only way that, that He will answer us and remove all biases. In order for you to really hear Him as you read His Word. Now, when He tells us what His will is for us, and it's not favoring on what we wanted to do originally, what do we do? As Christians, we pray again. <laughs> no, we surrender. Amen? We surrender whether we like it or not. If that was the answer and we lifted it up to him and he said, okay, this is your answer, then what do we do? We surrender. But the problem is this. The problem for Christians is this. We want the Bible to adjust to our lives instead of our lives to adjust to the Bible. We want our will than God's will. That is what sin is. That is what sin is. We want to be God and we want Him to be our assistant. Did you know that? The most powerful being in the universe, you want, to be, you want Him to be your assistant because you know better than Him. You just don't have the power that He has. That's what sin is. Now as we continue in our walk with the Lord... We have to remind ourselves of these verses. If we really call him Lord, he asks us, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? In Luke 6, 46. And then in Titus 2, 11 and 12, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. He teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions, and to live live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Isn't this what we're called to do? We are to lift up all our wants to the Lord and then surrender to what His will is to Him. And then when we call Him Lord, we are to do what He tells us to do. And one of the things is to live holy and righteous lives for Him. So what does that mean? We need to deny ourselves of the good things that we think are good or the good things that the world is telling us that's good. Because this is what God has commanded us to do. Now, if we call, we call Jesus Lord, we are to do what He's saying. And now what happens when we have certain plans that we wanted to do in our lives, and then God says, no, you're not going to do that. That's not what I want you to do. What do we do? We obey, correct? Because it says in Proverbs 69, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. So, guys, folks, Church, beloved, you want to know God's will for you? Read His Word. 
You want to have the power to obey Him? Pray to Him. Now the question is, do you really want that? Or are you satisfied of going to heaven after you die because you accepted Him as Lord? And you're just satisfied with that. Now God's will for us has a lot to do with our moral lives. I know we are we know this, right? We are saved by grace, not by works. But a lot of his will for us in this life is to live morally for him. God's will for us often comes to us through divine providence. The belief that God is actually involved behind every scene in our life events. We have to acknowledge that truth that everything that's happening to us God's behind it, and God has a purpose for it. Now, in Romans 8.14, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Do you believe that? If you have accepted Jesus as your Lord, the Holy Spirit is indwelling in you, and you are called the Son of God, a child of God. Now, do you guys know the difference between goodwill Versus God's will. Now here's an illustration, an example from the life of Henry Nowen. From his book, The Road to Daybreak. Let me just read it real fast as we close. A a lesson often learned the hard way in each of our spiritual journeys is mistaking goodwill for God's calling. Sometimes we feel deeply about an experience we have, whether it may be on a mission trip, or even a documentary. And this feeling leads to a decision. We are to go where those people live to help them. And then you fill in the blank, escape poverty, experience wholeness, hear the gospel. Never giving attention to whether or not God has equipped us or called us to do this critical juncture. Instead, we raise the funds, buy our plane tickets, and begin the journey. Now, this is, this is Henry Nowen speaking. I've seen this many times before. One comes to mind of a few college friends who are returning, after returning from home, uh, after returning home from a year abroad, decided God had called them to go back to Europe to bring the gospel to this post-Christian part of the world. Needless to say, they returned home a year or so later with little to show for it, minus perhaps a few great trips across the European continent. He says here, my trips to Latin America had set in motion that the thought that I might be called to spend the rest of my life among the poor of Bolivia or Peru. So I resigned from my teaching position at Yale and went to Bolivia to learn Spanish and to Peru to experience the life of a missionary among the poor. I sincerely tried to discern whether living among the poor in Latin America was the direction to go. Slowly and painfully, I discovered that my spiritual ambitions were different from God's will for me. I had to face the fact that I wasn't capable of doing the work of a missioner in a Spanish-speaking country, that I needed more emotional support than my fellow missioners could offer, that the hard struggle for justice often let me, left me discouraged and dis- dispirited, and that the great variety of tasks and obligations took away my inner composure. It was hard to hear my friends say that I could do more from the South in the North than in the South and that ability to speak and write more useful among university students than among the poor. 
it became quite clear to me that idealism, good intentions, and a desire to serve the poor do not make up God's calling. It means not because it's a good thing, it's God's will for us. It means not because it's in the Bible, it's what God wants from us. Correct? Because God has a will for every one of us. He has a calling for every single one of us. Do we agree? Yes. It's just up to us to discover what that is. And I know we would rather have it clearly, as clear as a text on the phone or an inbox message on Facebook or Instagram. Go, therefore. Right? But we have to seek God through prayer. And for us, when we're praying, we have to be surrendered wholeheartedly, just like Jesus, without fear, despite, despite the great concern for him losing his fellowship with his father and because of his love for his father, and his love for us, he continued on to the cross. Now next week, we're going to study um, uh, another topic before the cross. Uh, we're going to be talking about Jesus being betrayed and being arrested. We're, st we're still going to be staying in the book of Matthew to do that. But thank you for your patience. That's our message tonight. Please join me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your message for us tonight. We thank you for your truth, Lord God. We thank you for your love. We thank you for uh, your obedience to your Father, Lord God, uh, despite the, the pain and the agony of losing fellowship with your Father, Lord God. You obeyed because of your love for him and your love for us. I pray, Father, if there's any soul here tonight, Lord, that is, still needs to surrender their life to you, to admit that they are sinners, that they need a Savior. I pray that they will accept you as their Lord. And eventually have them saved, Lord God, by you, by the sacrifice you've done on the cross. Father, we know that um, you constantly are good and patient with us despite our many failures, just like the disciples sleeping, Lord God, three times. I pray, Father, that you will give us a resolve, Lord God, to walk ever so closely with you. And you will give us the strength, Lord God, to live for you. We love you, Lord God. And all the Lord's people said, Amen, Amen. amen.